What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Uh, we, we are... We're privileged to have Mr. John Katzian with us this morning. Uh, they asked if I would introduce him because I know this guy just a, just a wee little bit. We've, we've had him out at camp speaking for, for many, many years. In fact, before I even took the job out there about five years ago, John usually is speaking to third and fourth graders or fifth and sixth graders. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with you all this morning. He usually does a pop quiz and, and it's boys versus girls to make sure they're paying attention. So John... Uh, if you end up doing a pop quiz this morning, I, I, I look forward to seeing how that's going to go. But uh, he's brought his wife Peggy with him this morning. They come all the way from Missouri, uh, and, and we're, just, we're just honored to have, have him with us this morning. So, John, thanks for, thanks for being with us. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, yeah, I do speak to, um, to uh, juniors in particular. They're the best audience, and they're the most excited to hear you, and um, I've been speaking, I like to speak at camps over the summers. I teach at Northwest Missouri State University um, in Maryville, Missouri. And um, I don't know if you feel this way. I don't know if you feel like we are going through what I would call cultural chaos at the moment. You know, I don't know if you feel like we are in a cultural fog where nothing means nothing anymore, you know. Women aren't women, they're just, you know, you are a gestational person. And then men are non-gestational persons, you know. And at the college level in particular, you see it because we teach that there is no truth. Everything is relative, everything's postmodern, everything is a social construct. You can be what you want to be. And so I see the results of that in my class people identifying in weird ways, people not really caring about what is truth, what is not truth. And then my wife and I work with our youth at our, um, at our church. And if any of you work with youth, you begin to see some just broken homes that some of these kids come out of. And you're like, what in the world is happening? You know, I was just at a camp where a nine-year-old girl was defining herself as bi. And I'm like, you're nine. Why are you even thinking about this sort of stuff? And that's where you wander around in this cultural chaos, this fog. And then you come to the realization that as Christians, we don't live in cultural chaos, right? We have truth here that says this is right and this is wrong. We have truth here that pierces that cultural chaos and says... I can give you the truth on what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Whether, you know, this is murder, whether it's not murder. We have a Bible, a book that says, hey, this is truth. And it pierces that cultural fog. But how do you, how do you communicate that in today's world, you know? How do you make sense of that as a Christian who believes there is right and wrong from a biblical worldview, how do I do that and make sense of the world? Because I am in cultural chaos. I don't know if you feel that way. Well, what I like to do is when I go speak at camps, I like to tell people stories. And it's interesting. I want to say up to 80% of the Bible is written in story form. God could have chosen a lecture. God could have chosen 
three main points and an intro and a conclusion and a poem. He could have chosen all that. But God chose in many ways to convey truth through stories. And I don't know why, and I think I do know why, but I've often wondered why. And I think there's something powerful about a story that just grabs your heart. And there's so many truths that can come out of a story. And we're story listeners by nature, right? We can sit through a two-hour movie with, oh, that was a great story. But sit through a two-hour sermon, no way. You know, that's, that's something different, right? But if you tell me a story, I'll listen. And I have found, speaking to fourth through sixth graders, if you tell the Bible as a story, they'll listen. It pulls them in. Adults don't get it as well. I don't know why. But fourth through sixth graders, they love it. And, and the thing is, that's what God used. He uses story after story after story to talk about some truth. So I'm going to give you two stories today that I think we can learn how to live in cultural chaos. And the first story I want to pull from is Second Chronicles 22, 23, 24. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing there. But I want to tell you the story of somebody named Joash. But it starts with an evil, wicked queen in 2 Chronicles 22 named Athaliah. Now, talk about cultural chaos. Athaliah is a queen who is out to kill all her grandkids. That's cultural chaos, wouldn't you agree? She is setting out to kill all of her grandchildren. Why? Well, her son, Ahaziah, had just been assassinated on the throne of Judah. He was the king of Judah, and he reigned. Well, the writer of 2 Chronicles, he says, you are a good king if you lead the people towards Yahweh. You are a bad king if you lead the people towards Baal. Well, Ahaziah, he was all in for Baal. He chose Baal, and he was pushing, you know, Israel, Judah, actually, towards Baal. And God said, you know, enough of that. And he was assassinated after two years on the throne. Well, his mother, Queen Athaliah, she's like, I like Baal. I want to go in that direction. I don't want to go towards Yahweh. I know we should be. I don't want that. No. And so she tried to usurp the throne. And for her to usurp the throne, she took the power, she took the army, she took over the throne. And for her to usurp it, she has got to wipe out the line of Judah. She's got to specifically wipe out the royal line of David. She's got to kill everybody who can trace their line all the way back to King David. But you know the problem? If she wipes out the line of King David... We are in big, big trouble if she is successful. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God comes to David hundreds of years earlier, comes to David and says, Hey, you have a heart for me. I love you. You know what? I am going to make your throne last forever. I'm going to make a covenant, a promise with you, David, that your line is going to last forever. And from your line is going to come someone who will rule the nations, who will never die, who will rule eternally. He will be the perfect king. And we all know that king to be who? Jesus. 
So this promise is coming along, but then comes Queen Athaliah, who's like, you know what? I am to hang onto this throne. I am going to wipe out all the line of David. And if she wipes out the line of David, guess what? We don't get Jesus. And if we don't get Jesus, we are in a whole lot of trouble, right? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose again. Jesus conquered death. He is the perfect God-man who died on the cross for our sins. And he comes from the line of David. The book of Matthew, the book of Luke, it proves that. But if we don't have the line of David, we don't have Jesus, we are in big trouble. So historically, at this moment, Queen Athaliah, Satan is using her to accomplish his grand purposes to stop this covenant happening, this is a crucial moment in salvation history. What are we going to do? Well, somebody steps forward. And it wasn't a dude. Somebody steps forward, and her name was Jehoshaphat. And she, I can imagine, she sees these princes of Judah being led off to die being killed by Queen Athaliah. And maybe she sees, you know, oh, there's my cousin, 25-year-old. Oh, there's, there's another relative. Because she's related to all these people, um, Jehoshaphat is, and she's seen him. And then she looks down the line and she sees this little baby with his nurse being let off to be killed. What would you do? Well, Jehoshaphat, I can imagine. It doesn't say this, but I can imagine, you know. All of a sudden, there's a scuffle over here because, you know, they don't want to be let off to die. And all of a sudden, the guards who were covering everybody, they go to settle that situation, and there is the nurse and the baby. All the Bible says is that Jehoshaphat grabbed Joash. And I can imagine, again, she grabbed Joash and ran. And it says, Jehoshaphat hid little Joash in a linen closet, basically a room where they kept the linen. And I can imagine Queen Athaliah, why she didn't keep track of how many people I'm killing? I don't know. But maybe she went through and she's like, I'm missing someone. And she starts looking around. And I can imagine they're hiding in the linen closet. How do you keep a baby quiet? I don't know. But they're coming and she's looking. She doesn't find him. And whew, for the next six years, Jehoshaphat hides little Joash in the temple. Now, Jehoshaphat is married to Jehoiada. There's lots of J's in today's sermon. Jehoshaphat is married to Jehoiada, the high priest, and together they hide little Joash in the temple for the next six years. But Queen Athaliah thinks, I've wiped out the whole line of David, but little does she know, little Joash is being hidden Jehoshaphat acted. Jehoshaphat did something. And that's my first point, I would say, in times of cultural chaos. If we're going to learn how to live in times of cultural chaos, you need to act. You need to act. It doesn't say Jehoshaphat had this, you know, well thought out plan. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say Jehoshaphat had this whole thing planned out. It just says Jehoshaphat acted. She saw a problem and she did what she could do 
In times of cultural chaos, you need to act. And that's where I want to encourage you. In times of cultural chaos, in your circle of influence, I encourage you, when you see something where you feel like, I could change somebody's world here, I could step in and do something different, I could make a difference, I encourage you to act. That's what Jehoshaphat did. And guess what? By doing that, she saved the whole line of David, which she saved the whole salvation history. We should love Jehoshaphat. We should have more t-shirts made about Jehoshaphat, but we don't because we forget about her. But she acted in her time and did something. You know, me as a teacher, I think, could I act? Should I teach something differently? I don't know if any of you are teachers or, or administrators. You know, you think, hey, I, should I teach this? Is this biblical? Could I do something else? Could I move it away? Maybe some of you, the best way you could act would say, you know what? I'm going to get involved in this church. I don't have some grand, you know, influence on people around me. At least that's the way you feel. But you know what? You could start by getting involved in this church. Is there a ministry you could start? Is there a ministry you could get involved with? You've been, the Lord's been tugging on your heart for a while. And I would encourage you, act. Do something. Don't just go along with the cultural fog and just let it go. No, act. Do something. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. She acted. And I'd encourage you, in times of cultural chaos, you need to act in your circle of influence. And I think especially we need to act on behalf of children. Because they seem to be the ones that get hurt the most in this chaotic moment. You know, they're the ones that I think in particular are being fed a whole bunch of lies and, and, and the families they're coming from. Is there any way you could act on behalf of children in particular? So Jehoshaphat, she acts. She grabs little Joash. And in Second Chronicles 23, you see the fact that for the next six years, they hide little Joash in the temple. Well, finally, Jehoiada, the high priest, he says, enough is enough. I have got to act. Maybe Queen Athaliah was getting out of control. Maybe Queen Athaliah had too many you know, things going towards Baal. Finally, Jehoiada, the high priest, says, I have got to act. Time is time. Let's do it now. And through a series of events, which you can read about in 2 Chronicles 23, Jehoiada takes little Joash and puts him on the throne. He is now king. He got the army behind him. He got the Levitical priesthood behind him. They protected little Joash. They brought him to this pillar. They gave him the law. They put the crown on his head and they yelled, Long live the king! And then ah, Queen Athaliah says here in Second Chronicles 23, she yells out, treason, treason, and she runs out to try to get her thrown back. But guess what? The people have turned against her. They grab her. They take her out by the palace and whack, execute her. And then they grab the high priest of Baal and whack, execute him. The country is now restored. We are now going to go back to Yahweh. And so Jehoiada, the high priest, raises up little Joash and begins to move in his life and begins to encourage him. And Joash, he became king at the age of seven. 
and he began to grow as a king, and, and Jehiah the high priest influenced him to the point when he was in his 20s. He reigned for 40 years. Later on in his 20s, Joash says, you know what, let's repair the temple. We've got to have a good temple. And he starts leading people back to Yahweh. He wants to repair the temple. Things are going great. The country of Judah is back following the Lord. Yes! But then, Jehoiada dies at the age of 130. Jehoiada dies. And I can imagine at the funeral, all of a sudden, there's this phrase, from Shakespeare, by the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Well, something wicked all of a sudden showed up. They were called the princes of Judah. And the princes of Judah, they began to show up, and they, it says, they came to Joash. And they began to talk to him and tell him what a wonderful person he was. And, 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 and then they began to say, you know, how, how, how awesome you were. And, and they began to just encourage him and, and tell him. And it's in Second Chronicles 24, in, in verse 17, the, the, these, these princes of Judah, these officials of Judah, the king listened to them. The king began to listen to these officials of Judah. And these officials of Judah, they wanted to go back to Baal. They enjoyed worshiping Baal. There are these places called high places, and they're called high places because they're literally high up in a mountain. And I think people also got high at these places. And so they went up to these high places where they would worship Baal, and they enjoyed the worship of Baal. It was a very pleasurable type of worship. And Jehoiada, to worship, you know, to worship Yahweh, he had strict rules, and these rulers, officials of Judah, they didn't like that at all. No, we want to go back to worshiping Baal. And they'd kept quiet during the whole time Jehoiada was alive. But the minute he died, they showed up. And it says they slowly turned the heart of Joash towards Baal. As much as he was all in for Yahweh, he now is, guess what? He began to apostatize is the big word. He was all in for Baal. He abandoned everything. The Bible says as long as jo Jehoiada was alive, guess what? Joash was for Yahweh. As long as Jehoiada was alive, guess what? Joash wanted to follow Yahweh. But the minute he died and began to be influenced by other people, he chose Baal. Charles Spurgeon says of this, he says, All that Joash has, had done was to give his heart to Jehoiada, not to Jehovah. All that Joash had done was to give his heart to Jehoiada, not to Jehovah. He had done everything externally to please Jehoiada. He loved Jehoiada. Jehoiada helped rescue him. Jehoiada was, you know, his, he, it was basically his father. He loved him. And he wanted to please him. Well, he liked Yahweh. I'll like Yahweh. And so externally, he conformed, but internally, he didn't have a heart for Yahweh. And when the wrong people showed up, 
he went the other way. Now, as parents, this scares you, right? As parents who are, yay, I am, sir, I am raising my child, and man, I, I hope they have a love for Jesus. I hope they have a love for Yahweh. I hope they have a love for, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Yahweh says, if you want to follow me today, you got to follow my son Jesus. And you pour your life into your kids, and you're like, man, how do I get them to own their faith? That's the big question, right? How do I get them to say, this is my faith? I'm not going to just do this because I love you, Mom. I do that partially because of that, but I do it eventually because I choose Jesus. Well, Joash, he never got that way. And maybe some of you adults are that way. You know, you show up because to this church because, you know, it makes Grandpa happy. It makes your wife happy. But really, if none of that was there, I'd be watching football. Well, it's too early. But I'd be watching something else. I'd be doing something else. I would not be here. That's a heart that's formed, right, for the people, please, but you're not really for Yahweh. And that's my second point I'd like you to think about. In times of cultural chaos, you need to be formed by your love for Jesus, not the culture. The culture weighs heavily on you. Joash, you know, here are these officials of Judah. Hey, come on, it's not that bad. We can sort of mingle it together. You know, a little high place, a little Yahweh, a little Baal, a little Yahweh. We can do it. It'll be great. And eventually, a little compromise, a little compromise, a little compromise. Joash is all in, right? I want to encourage you, in times of cultural chaos, we've got to be formed by our love for Jesus, not what our friends want to do, not what our others are telling us to do. Not what media or TikTok or Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram, all those memes about Jesus and this and that, and you're like, what am I believing? Is it right for me to be this, what the Bible says, thus saith the Lord? Can I be that black and white? You know, and then in the end, your heart begins to be formed in another direction. I want to encourage you, begin to love Jesus. If you are a kid here today, I want to encourage you. You have got to learn to start owning your faith. It's, I got saved at the age of five. And my parents, I grew up in a Christian home. But I could tell you a lot of friends of mine who grew up in the same situation. And we're like Joash. The minute they got out of the house, they changed. Why? Because they never had a heart for Jehovah. They never had a heart for Jesus. And I encourage you, young people, do you own your faith? Is it yours? Or are you just relying on your parents' faith? And that's what I said this whole summer. You have to ask Jesus to save you. You can't rely on your parents' faith, you know? You've got to ask Jesus to save you. You've got to choose him yourself. And I encourage you to do that today. Well, Joash, he completely goes bad. God sends him Zechariah, a prophet, to try to call back the people of Judah. And in 2 Chronicles 24, it just tells the story of this prophet named Zechariah, who, by the way, is Joash's stepbrother. 
They might have grown up together. Jehoiada was Zachariah's dad. Jehoiada raised Joash. They probably grew up together. Well, in the end, Joash is so in for Baal, he leads the people in stoning Zechariah to death. And the last words of Zechariah is, he looks up at Joash, and he says, may the Lord see, and may the Lord take vengeance. Some versions say, may the Lord take account. Now, how can you be all in for Jehoiada, but you come to this point where you actually stone his own son? It says in 2 Chronicles 24, verse 22, King Joash disregarded the loyalty his father Jehoiada had shown him and killed Jehoiada's son. That's how far he had gone. Well, the Lord did take account. Years later... He dies, doesn't die in battle, but he gets hurt so badly, he's later assassinated by his servants. And later on, Joash should have been buried with the kings, but the people just buried him in a common grave. Ended up totally far away from the Lord. And at one camp, this kid asked me, he yelled out from the crowd, he goes, do you think Joash was saved? And I was like, that's a good question. And I think the answer is no, because he quit believing in Yahweh. He didn't follow him. But 239 years later, I like to say 240 because it really bugs me that it's 239. <laughs> but 239 years later arrives another child king. He becomes king at the age of eight, and his name is Josiah. And he becomes king over Judah as well. And Josiah becomes king, and his story is found in 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34. Well, Josiah, his dad was Amon. And Amon's dad was also killed two years into his reign. Amon was a bad king. He led the people towards Baal. He was a bad king. Well, Josiah, his dad was a bad king, but Josiah, his grandfather, was Manasseh. And Manasseh was even worse than Amon. He was a terrible king. He led the people so far away from Yahweh towards Baal. The Bible says over and over again what a terrible king, evil king Manasseh was. Later on in life, he sort of turned his heart back to God. But for the majority of his reign, Manasseh was terrible. So Josiah, growing up, he probably came home and they had, you know, hey, Baal worship posters on the wall. You know, they were listening to the latest Baal worship music, you know, and they went to the, the great Baal worship festival once a year. It was Baal this, Baal that, Baal, Baal, Baal. You know, that is what Josiah grew up with. So when he became king... What are you going to do, Josiah? Baal or Yahweh? Well, Josiah, he chooses Yahweh. I don't know who got to him. Maybe Hilkiah, the high priest. Maybe he had a godly mother who kept investing in his life. Maybe Manasseh, his grandfather, in the last years of his life said, I messed up, son, and I want to tell you all about this. I don't know, but somebody got to Josiah 
in the middle of all of this chaos, he chose Yahweh. And then later on, it says in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, so he's 16 at this point, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Reigns at the age of eight. At the age of 16, you know, the culture's saying, worship Baal, worship Baal. He's starting to choose Yahweh. Well, at the age of 16, he begins to seek the God of David, his father. And it says that Josiah, when he began to seek Yahweh, he became the goat. If you don't know what the goat means, that means he became the greatest of all time. He was the goat. That's what the Bible says in 2 Kings 23, verse 25. Before him, Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. He so devoted his heart to the Lord at the age of 16 that the Bible says, you're the goat. You are the greatest of all time in terms of being in for God. And that's my third point of how to handle cultural chaos. In times of cultural chaos, it starts with a choice. You've got to determine, this is what I'm going to do. Everything said to Josiah, no, go Baal, go Baal, go that way. He chose to go against the cultural stream and say, no, as a king, I'm going to follow Yahweh. Later on, Daniel, right, determines in his heart that I am not going to defile myself with the king's meat. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. It starts here. Just because everybody around you is saying, hey, we've got to change, we've got to do this, you are... An idiot for not going that way. No, you say, you know what? I'm going to follow what Scripture says. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to be like Josiah. I'm going to determine to choose, and, and I am going to be all in for God, and I'm going to be all in for Yahweh. And I, so in times of cultural chaos, it starts with a choice, but that's not always easy, is it? Especially when you're the only one. You know, you're the only one who says, well, I don't know if we should do that. And again, I don't know if any of you are teachers. You know, you especially feel that pressure to conform, to teach this and do that. And you're like, but I don't know if I can biblically. What do I do? You know, and again, maybe some of you work in various situations that I, you're, you're dealing with this choice. Do I go along to get along or do I act differently? And that's where you could pull in principle number one. This is your time to act. To go talk to your boss and say, hey, I can't do this. I'm uncomfortable with that, you know? Well, Josiah, why is he the goat? The reason he's the goat is because his heart is completely devoted to Yahweh. And the way he shows that is he goes about cleansing the land from the north to the south to the east to the west 
of all the high places. He tears them all down. See, other kings had been in for Yahweh. Other kings had a heart for Yahweh. But they left some high places up. They were popular. They were pretty. They made money. I don't know. They had one high place. It talks about in 2 Chronicles 34 called the Hill of Corruption. The Hill of Corruption. Who wants to go to a place called the Hill of Corruption? Well, this high place called the Hill of Corruption had been around since the days of Solomon hundreds of years before, and no king had dealt with it. Not Josiah. He goes down there, and it says in 2 Chronicles 34 that he totally destroys this place totally knocks it down, and it says he makes it so bad that the worshipers couldn't get over the rubble to try to worship their God. That's how much he destroys it. And then Josiah, he deals with a 400-year-old problem. See, 400 years earlier, Israel were 12 tribes, right? Well, they had a civil war between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And Jeroboam said, enough is enough. And he took ten tribes, and they began northern Israel, which by the time of Josiah is gone, because they so completely disobeyed God. Then Rehoboam, he had Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, and that's why southern Israel is sometimes called Judah. And that's, they had some good kings and bad kings. Well, when they split, when they had that civil war, Jeroboam was like, I can't have my people go down to Jerusalem and worship there. So I'm going to start my own center of worship at this town called Bethel. And so he built a center of worship there. And slowly it became corrupt because God said, I want you to worship me at the temple. You've got to come to Jerusalem. And Jeroboam was like, well, I'm going to make my own center of worship. It'll be fine. you know. And he starts to build it. Well, over the years, this thing became a place of just embarrassment and a lot of bad stuff happened there. Well, while he was erecting this altar, this old prophet comes to Jeroboam. 400 years earlier, this old prophet comes to him and says, Hey, just so you know, he actually gives this prophecy against the altar. So there is Jeroboam working with the altar. Out comes this old man, takes his bony finger, sticks it in the nose of Jeroboam and says... O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bone shall be burned on you. 1 Kings 13, verse 2. He makes a prophecy 400 years and names Josiah by name. Well, guess what? 400 years later, Josiah goes down to Bethel, actually goes up to Bethel, and he takes that altar and he digs up the bones of some of the famous priests that used to worship there that they did little graves for, dug up their bones, took their bones, put them on the altar, and took his Bic lighter and (laughs) burned them all up burned it all up and then he destroys the altar again nobody dealt with bethel well it's a really popular place they got a bit of an industry around it you know we've got some good economy going down there i don't know if we should mess with it not josiah he says if i'm going to be in for the lord i'm going to deal with it all and from the north to the south to the east to the west 
and you can read in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles how he just destroyed all the high places, totally cleansed the land. And that's my third point. In times of cultural chaos, it starts with cleaning our own house of high places. We should start to look at our life and go, are there some high places worshiping other gods that I'm leaving? Because it's sort of fun, sort of like it. Are there some things I shouldn't watch, sites I shouldn't go to? Music I shouldn't listen to doesn't glorify God at all, but I like it. You know, are there some high places you should be tearing down? Dads, fathers, are some high places in your family that you need to take care of? That you need to say, you know what? By pursuing this, we are clearly violating Scripture and we're worshiping other gods. We got to stop this. It may not be easy. You know, and maybe you're at a circle of influence like Josiah. He could change a whole culture. Are you at a state where you are in your political scheme where you can maybe have an influence to tear down another public high place, to start to make a difference in the town of Victor or wherever you happen to live? You know, you could say, I can help our town to have a better understanding that God wants us to be salt and light in this wicked world, right? But it starts with the home, first of all. Are there some high places you need to be turning down? Well, we're running out of time, but Josiah cleanses the land. Then later on in his middle 20s, he says, we also have to rebuild the temple. So they start to rebuild the temple. Well, they hire silversmiths and goldsmiths and, and great people who can work with rock, and they start to build, rebuild the temple. Well, one day, Hilkiah, the high priest, he's in the temple treasury pulling out some money to try to pay the, worksmen, the workmen. And in the middle, I think he sees a package. And he reaches back. He pulls out the package. He lays it down and he opens it up. And when he sees what he discovers, he begins to cry. I can't believe what I just found. And he says, the Shap fan, the, the guy who later on re does something for Joe and Josiah, he says, look at this. And when he sees it, he begins to cry. And then, then he calls Dave the plumber, come over here. And they look at that. And wow, I can't believe it. Then Stan the silversmith, come here, look what it is. And you know what they found? Then they ask Harry, the, the, hey, come here, look at this. And they look at that. And they're like, hey, they're, they are just jumping for joy, high-fiving. You know what they found? And then they say, hey, you know what, Frank, come here. You've got to check this out. You've got to come look at this. And they're like, I can't believe it. We found it. They found a copy of the book of the law. One camp I was at, when I finally revealed it, they were like, oh, <laughs> is that it? And they, were, they didn't care. I was like, what? That's it? Just the book of the law? And that's where I was like, we don't understand not having the Bible in our own language. We don't understand not having a copy of the scripture around, you know? I've got how many on you version on here? The book of the law had not been read for at least 57 years in the land because Amon and, 
and, and Manasseh had probably burned all the copies and to have a copy of the law, they didn't have the printing press back then, to actually have a copy of the law, they were like, yes, to hear the very words of God. And that's principle number, I don't know where I'm at, five. He says, you know what? We've got to read the book. We have to read the Bible. When they discovered a copy, they were so excited. It was like finding treasure. Do you treat Scripture that way? They say we're not illiterate as a nation. We're alliterate. We just choose not to read. Kids, I want to encourage you. Give up a little bit of Minecraft, all right? Just a little bit to read some more, you know? Give up playing with whatever to start to read the, the book. If you're going to be in for Yahweh, you have to become a person of the book. The Jewish people were a person of the book. Christianity has always been about the book. You've got to read, but reading is hard. The big problem is reading stamina. Most of us can't read longer than three minutes, five minutes. You know, right now they have, you know, a three-minute read on the Internet. They encourage you. You only have to spend three minutes reading this. Read it. You know, it's hard. But if we're going to grow in faith, we've got to read the book. And guess what? The people were excited. They brought the book to Josiah, and then they began to read the law. They finally found probably the book of Deuteronomy, and they were excited. They'd not read it for over 55, 57 years, and they laid it out, and they began to read it. But as they began to read it, Josiah got more and more scared because Deuteronomy 28 says there now if you faithfully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all his commands God lays out I'm going to bless you 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 and when Josiah heard that he says great but then later on in Deuteronomy 28 God says if you break the law I'm going to curse you I'm going to curse you I'm going to curse you and eventually I'm going to kick you out of the land and it says when Josiah heard the law that he tore his clothes, put ashes on his head, he went into mourning. No, because he realized how far the people had fallen from keeping the law. This was a covenant they'd made with Yahweh during the time of Moses. And God said, will you keep it? And the people said, yes, we will. Well, over the years, they wandered far and far and far and far away. And Josiah knew they were in big trouble. And long story short, he repents. The nation holds the Passover again. As best they can, Josiah leads the people to start obeying the law again. But ultimately, when the law was read to him, when he saw where his life was different, Josiah repented and changed. And that leads to my final point. In times of cultural chaos, we need to align our practice with Scripture, not Scripture with our practice. In times of cultural chaos, we have to align our, scripture, our, our practice with our Scripture, not our Scripture with our practice. Do you get that? You know, this is where we have to be people of the book. What does the Bible say about genders? What does the Bible say about proper, you know, proper sexuality? What does the Bible say about economics? What form of government? What does the Bible say about, 
you know, headship in the home and male and female relationships and how to raise children and what is right and wrong. What does the Bible say? Guess what? When Josiah saw what the Bible said and what they were doing, he realized we've got to repent. And I'd encourage you to not just say, well, and you can read it all over the place, right? Well, did God really say that when he said, you know, Male and female, he created them. What he really meant was, you know, and you can take scripture and turn it however you want. And I encourage you, no. Let's be like Josiah. Let's align our practice with scripture, not scripture with our practice. So I want to end with equipment for living. What can I do this week? How can I take these ideas and live them out this week? Number one, start to read your Bible. Read your Bible this week. Start small, you know, two verses. Um, you know, you version has a little devotional. You can read along and then they apply it. Just start saying, you know what? Every day I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read the Bible. I may not get something out of it every day, but that discipline of reading, there's something about it. Number two, Take inventory this week of high places you need to tear down in your life and your family's life. Are there things in my life that are acti- causing me to worship other gods? i got to tear that down. This week, take inventory of those things. Number three, parents, start carrying books around. When I was a younger parent, that's what somebody said to me. You've got to walk around with books. He said, literally, if you walk around with books, your kids will be like, oh, you think reading's fun. I'm just saying, I encourage you, walk around with books. Even if it is an owner's manual, walk around with books of some kind, you know? Because you're like, I have a friend who loves to read owner's manuals of everything. I'm like, well, at least he's reading, you know? Um, Number four, this is for you kids, turn off Minecraft, you know? Just a little bit. Give up on TikTok completely, you know, and that sort of thing, you know? But we're going to have to give up on social media. We're going to have to give up on some games in order to devote ourselves more to reading and understanding his word. Number five, pray this week, Lord, reveal to me where my life does not line up with scripture. Maybe you're totally unaware of it. You know, pray that the Lord will show you some of your practices are not aligning up with scripture, that the Lord will show you that. Number six, Think this week and pray this week that the Lord will reveal to you where you could act, where you could rescue someone around you. Is there somewhere I could get involved in this church more? I could get involved at, you know, whatever it happens to be. I could act here. And then finally, number seven, do you have a heart for Jehovah? Do you have a love for Jesus? Whatever your age is, do you have a heart for Jesus? And I want to say, if you do these things, life may get harder to actually stand up and make a difference. It may take real courage to rescue those we can. But as much as Scripture is a, a you know, exhortation to help us to change, by reading Scripture, I want to encourage you, it can also lead to comfort. So I want to read these words over you. And if you know the words, please say them along with me. I want to encourage you this week 
that as we begin to live in times of cultural chaos, I want to encourage you with these words. They're found in Psalm 23. And again, please read along with me that whatever happens, we know the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. And for their stories, Lord, that you say in the New Testament, they were written that we might learn from them. And I just pray that we will learn to be not like Joash, but we will learn to be little Josiahs, making a difference in our culture, in our day, but knowing that you are our shepherd, and one day we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.